0: amen he is so good isn't he i hope that you've been able to engage him fully in your worship there wherever you are god is so faithful so real father we love you (laughs) you've never let us down god i thank you that you are not letting us down now you are refining your church god and we want to rise up to be the powerful church that you died to make us God, we look to your word, to you today, and we ask you to just anoint these words that we share. May they be your words, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, some people I understand in the community of faith are somewhat discouraged and maybe frustrated and feel like there's some kind of an attack on the church, and I want to tell you that I am absolutely 100% convinced that this is a time that God has used to refine, challenge and strengthen the church. We are not weaker. We're not. Just because we're not assembling in a church, I believe that God has refined His people, and we will be a stronger presence as a result of these days that we've been traveling through. Today, God has a word for us that I am super excited to share with you. I always am. God's amazing, and His word is incredible. And I want to share with you from His word... Tying in some things from what we shared last week. If this is your first Sunday with us or you missed last week, those services are always available. You can go to our website. They're archived there. You can also get it through um, podcasts. You don't have to watch the video if you don't want to. And you can get the message. But just listen to what God is saying. I want to challenge you not to allow your free time to become a time where you are absent from the presence of God, but that you spend every day in the presence of God and remain challenged through His Word and what He's saying to us. When we looked at the availability of God last Sunday because of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, as we celebrated a few weeks ago in the Easter uh, resurrection celebration, signified through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, we looked at the fact that prior to that, through the Old Testament, we did not have access to God since then into the world. And so as a result of what God was doing all along, was He was making a way and a plan to allow us to have not only access to Him, but the purpose of that access was to have relationship. Now, Jesus, when He gave up His life for us on the cross, as we know... He cried out, it is finished, into God's hands he committed his spirit, and he bowed his head and died. And in that very moment, God himself ripped the veil in the temple, granting access to what was once not not available to us, but is now available to all freely. Now, last week we looked at the tabernacle, which once the children of Israel established themselves as a nation in the promised land... David himself desired to build God a house because he lived in a temple and God was in a tent and he knew it wasn't right. So God allowed David's son Solomon to build him that temple. We look at those designs and we see, even in the designs of God's house in the tabernacle and the temple, that God himself was sealed off, so to speak, though present, he was not readily available. Think that through. Though present... He was not readily available. So even in the context of God's house, the tabernacle and the temple, God was very present, but he was only available through means of a intercessor, which would be the priest ministering in the tabernacle and around the tabernacle, and then only the high priest that one time of year at the time of the sacrifice of atonement. So we recognize that there was and is this separation between God and humanity and the world, which sin brought. We want to look at that separation and how not only it impacted us in our relationship with God, but us in our relationship with one another. God's design and His plan for us was to have a relationship not only with Him, but with one another that He was a natural part of. In order for us to understand this and get a glimpse of what that relationship looked for, we visit the first book of the Bible, Genesis, and as you begin to look at that, you see that God created all things. He placed Adam and Eve in the garden. He gave them like the authority to run that place, and he gave them dominion over all the animals and everything that was there. Now, as we read the account, we're looking at that that relationship that God had with Adam and Eve, and in the structure of not only their relationship, but with the animal kingdom, and uh, all the vegetation, and all that stuff that was on the planet. Now, we know that God visited them in the garden. We know this because of what happened when sin entered the world. They lived and functioned in a normal way, In relationship with one another, in relationship with God, in relationship with the animal kingdom, and with all the plant life on the planet. God had ordained this natural structure, and something happened that messed it all up, which was sin. When we look back at the very beginning and we see that relationship and the natural uh, order of things, and we know that what had screwed it all up was sin, we want to look at the separation aspect and see what it did to us and what God wants to offer to us still today. So when we go back into Genesis 3, we pick up in the middle of something that brings confusion to people's mind because we don't see the world in the same light. Remember this, everything that we see in this world today is seen with the damage that sin has caused. So we're not seeing anything in existence in its natural setting and the way that God created and designed it. I am not saying it is nothing the same. I'm saying there is change that happened even in the order of the natural world because of sin. So when Eve is speaking with an animal, obviously the animal could speak to her, and it didn't freak her out. If an animal talked to us, we'd freak out. But this was the way it was prior to this moment that sin entered the world. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it, or if you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful, and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were open and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. They suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Before I read the next section now, I want you to see that this was a normal day in their lives until something tragic took place. And in the midst of this tragedy, God showed up. And it was obviously something God normally did. And as we look at this engagement and what all this transpires and how it affects us, One of the things I believe that you and I both can know and learn from this is the reality of the truth of God's Word because of our own personal life experiences. What we have experienced in our life as a result of sin and the brokenness that it brought to us affirms God's Word by what you personally have felt and experienced in your life. The same as me. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man... Where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. I'm going to pause for a minute. We're going to continue reading in Genesis chapter 3, but we need to stop for a minute to look at the enticement that sin brought. See, when, when the serpent was talking to Eve, he was saying, you know, can you eat everything? Oh yeah, we can eat everything. Well, not really everything there's this one thing. And it's amazing, please hear me, church, please hear this, that with everything that God has given to us, everything that He offers to us, there's something inside of us that wants the one thing we can't have. (laughs) Here as we look at this account and we see what took place, there was the seed of desire that was planted inside of Eve when She wanted something. She saw the tree was beautiful. She saw the fruit look delicious. And she wanted the wisdom it would bring her. She wanted to be like God. Please hear that. She wanted the wisdom. What was that wisdom? The serpent said, you're going to be like God. You're going to know both good and bad. You're going to be like God. She wanted to be like God. Sin when it entered in that moment, opened their eyes, and in that moment, the right and the wrong was made known to them. And what was the result? Shame. Shame. Have you ever felt the emotion, shame? It is the very essence of sin in our life. Shame. Shame. See, when we look at that and we begin to understand this, when they felt shame, for they knew they were naked, they immediately needed to cover themselves. God was not present with them in the moment. Please hear this. Sin caused a separation of a needing to hide from one another in what once was a perfect relationship between Adam and Eve. Now sin entered, which brought about shame, which brought about the need to hide, which brought about the need to cover, which needed me to be separate from you. Sin. Sin is a separator. It is an initiator and a birth to shame in our life. So sin, shame needed to be covered and they tried to cover it by sewing fig leaves together so that they could feel somewhat covered and not exposed to one another. Now please get that because what they were doing in this moment was trying to hide from one another, not from God, from one another. We know this because when God showed up, they ran and hid. And when he said this to them, he says, Where are you and what are you doing? And Adam said, I'm hiding because I'm naked. He was covered with fig leaves, but he knew he was naked. There was no covering for him to stand in the presence of God that would ever cover the shame that he felt. And even though he and Eve both were wearing the garments they had put together to hide from one another, to cover their shame... He knew that he was completely exposed before God. Nothing any human being could ever do can remove or cover that shame that is within us, that sin birthed in us, which exposed us to the reality of our brokenness before Almighty God. Man, think about the impact of sin. Separation from God. Separation from one another in the human race. Separation from the animal kingdom and world around them. Separation from once was what was once a harvested bounty that was to produce for them. Sin and shame entered. And what it did is cause division in every relationship, in every situation. And the natural order that God had ordained for us to live in was now nothing but brokenness. If you read in Genesis 3, you'll know in this very moment, there became became a conversation between God and Adam and Eve. And as they began their conversation, and God challenged them on where they were, you know how they began to blame everyone. Adam blamed Eve, Eve blamed the serpent. We understand this, we see this. And listen, this is the, the issue that we're dealing with, is the fact that once we are exposed for our behavior, for our choices... We tried to cover it, and when the clothing on the outside didn't cover it, there was the desire to cover it by causing it to be somebody else's issue. <laughs> it was their choice. It was not Adam's choice for Eve, Eve's choice for Adam, it was their choice. They willingly used the free will that God had given to us to establish a relationship in love to make the wrong choice. This free will choice is still available to us exactly the way God set it up in the very beginning. We have a free choice to either live in God's ways or our way. To follow what He has called us to follow or to do the things we want to do. See, we're still struggling with wanting to be God. Oftentimes today... When people are confronted with their sin and the impact of what their sin has brought into their lives, we try and blame others and make excuses for our brokenness. Now, I'm going to get kind of personal here, but you've got to stay with me and understand what this is talking about. When a couple is going through a divorce, it's always the other person's fault. They will accept a little blame, but it's always more their fault than mine. We're always trying to cover our brokenness. God has called us to confront who we are, be naked and transparent before him, and be real. In verse number 21 of that third chapter of Genesis, God's word declares to us that obviously God had them take off their leaves He made a sacrifice there in the garden of an animal. Made clothing out of the skins of the animal and put it upon them. Sin required death. Required blood. And therefore the only way that Adam and Eve could attempt to cover their shame and their sin was through a life of another. Now As we see this encounter and this reality of the birth of sin and what caused our separation from God, what caused the separation in humanity, what is the root of the reason for the brokenness in our relationships? Remember this, that God is love. So the only way we can truly love is to know God and to have God in our life. And therefore, when you think about this, it makes sense when you realize the fact of the matter is that when we are attempting to have a relationship that is outside the boundaries of God and God's love, there is no way for that relationship to work because it is based in shame and sin and separation and hiding. It is the essence of brokenness. (laughs) The only way to have a whole and real relationship is to have the presence of love, God, in it. Now, after God gave them their garments, the separation from God that sin brought about, the feeling of shame, which was the result of the sin, the brokenness in their lives, the brokenness of their relationship, it also caused the brokenness in the place where they had relationship with God and with one another. Verse 23 says, So the Lord God banished them from the Garden of Eden. This was the place God had established for ultimate relationship. Remember that. The relationship between one another and with God, the relationship with the world around them, and all that it was. God banished them from the Garden of Eden, and He sent Adam out to cultivate the ground from which he had been made. After sending them out, the Lord God stationed a mighty cherubim uh, to the east of the Garden of Eden, He placed a flaming sword that flashed back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. This separation was now real in their life like never before. Sin caused the ultimate separation between them and God, them and one another, them in the place where the relationship existed them in the world around them. There was separation everywhere, and the result of that separation which sin birthed in us was the inner emotion of shame. See, what now took place was something that we have all experienced. Life out there was now a struggle. Life in the world was a struggle, and God Himself was Real, but he was out there. He was not personal in their lives. He was not tangibly personal in their lives. He simply existed as God, but he was not personal. Now, when we step into the message we brought last Sunday, that there was a sacrificial system established of some order in Genesis, we know this because when you read the account, sacrifices are happening throughout history until the moment that god called israel to be his nation and his people in the exodus account where god himself instituted a very structured ordered religious practice of worship for a relationship with him you read that in the book of exodus i think it was chapter 25 through 31 where just the tabernacle itself was established where we saw that separation Now, God was present. Don't forget this as you look. It's very cool stuff, man. When we look back at the Exodus account, we realize that God was present for them, before them, even though he was not available to them. So when they left, he was existing, present in a pillar of cloud by day, fire by night. And as they traveled, he would lead them. And as he led them, this is God's word. He teaches us this and he's showing us something. He's saying, I'm the one you need to depend on, but God was still out there. The only way they could access anything to do with him was through the priests in the tabernacle where God himself was separated from all, except that high priest once a year. Now, when God was leading them through the wilderness, when he would lead, the pillar was out front, and then when it was time for the encampment, it says the word of God says that 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 presence of God would stop. And they would set up and establish an encampment there. Now there's specifics in what God did, and we're not going to get way off on this, but I want you to hear it because it's so amazing. In Numbers chapter 2, if you read there, you'll see that God said, when you have set up the camp, here's how it's going to look. You're going to put the tabernacle up first, my presence right there in the center. Then the ministering Levite families would be around that tabernacle. And then three tribes to the north three to the east, three to the south, three to the west. So what God did is He made Himself center, all of the people around Him, knowing His presence was there in the middle, that He was to be the center of everything that they were doing. He was physically present. He was there, but He was still not accessible unless they came through the priests who were between them and God. God gives us this visual to see and understand the separation that still existed even when He was their God and they were His people. Now when you look at the core of that story in the book of Exodus and what God was saying to Moses and the people, He said, I, I'm going to let everybody in the world know I alone am God. He was letting the world know there were no other gods, there are no other gods, and He wanted the world to know it. He is the central figure of the God- head he is and therefore as he was teaching this and showing this he wanted them to see that there was a centralness that he needed to play in their lives in their existence as a people and as a community and that they needed to have equal access to him which he established in the way that he laid them out now we already know this we talked about this how when jesus died on the cross as the final sacrifice the veil was torn from top to bottom. God himself gave access to everyone. We read in Hebrews 10 where it talks about Jesus ascended to the Father into the most holy place, which was signified in that tabernacle, in that temple, and that he is our final high priest. The sacrifice and the priest who is interceding for you and I. The access to God that we had once been separated from him was now granted and open. That access that God presented to us was an offering and a personal invitation to re-enter a relationship with Him that He intended for us when He made us in the very beginning. Look, it's, it's not something new or different God desired this relationship with us personally in the very beginning when we were made and now through Jesus Christ He has invited us back into that kind of a personal relationship with our God. The kind that removes the barrier that sin brought into us. The one that heals the shame that sin bore within us. The one that brings us together in relationship as husband and wife. That shame and hiddenness is removed through Jesus Christ so that we can have the real relationship he intended in the beginning which is based in love which is what he is and who he is this access is now open to us and it's not like God's still somebody out there God's saying I want to be in there I want to be with you I want to be part of your life and in your life one of the things that this this whole COVID-19 thing has helped us in the church understand is we're not just coming to the house of God to meet with God We are learning to understand that God is, and He's very real and He's very personal. We no longer have to come to a designated spot to meet with Him. He is with us. We still come together. We're called to. Read your Bible. So I'm not saying don't ever come to church again. We're supposed to come together as the body of Christ, but it's not so that we can be with God. We are with God. We are one with God through this sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We have been given access to that relationship we were intended for. No longer did religious activity need to be done to appease God who was out there and inaccessible. No longer do we need a priest to intercede for us here on planet earth. We have the high priest Jesus Christ himself interceding for us in heaven above. We no longer have to offer sacrifices hoping that God would accept it. <laughs> Last week we read in Colossians chapter 2, talked about how how often we're still trying to practice some kind of religious practice in order to be accepted by God. And I'm going to read that section of scriptures and I'm going to continue reading on into chapter 3. You have died with Christ. And he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. Oh, grab it, man. Grab it. You have died with Christ. See, sin's penalty has been paid in you. Through Jesus Christ, I am no longer a sinner living in sin. I have died and he has set me free from the spiritual powers of this world. Sin and shame that reigned and the enemy. I've been set free from that through Jesus Christ. So the challenge in the Word of God says, So why do you keep on following the rules of the world? Such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. Such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, severe bodily discipline, but they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. See, religious practice does not remove sin. And therefore, if sin is present, sin is the driving force that causes us to be broken and drives us to that whatever we want. The Word of God declares to us that when we have died with Christ, we have been made new in Him, we enter into a new relationship with God, which is that relationship He created for in the very beginning. So we continue reading in chapter 3, and this is what it says. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, so set sa- so your sights, oh, let me reread that. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of the earth. Hey Christian, I'm just going to ask you a question before I even read. When is the last time you even thought about heaven? (laughs) Verse 3. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. It's the new norm. It's the new way. It's the new relationship. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all His glory. So, put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you have nothing to do with sexual immorality impurity, lust and evil desires don't be greedy for a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world because of these sins, the anger of God is coming you used to do these things when your life was still a part of this world but now is the time to get rid of anger and rage and malicious behavior, malicious behavior, slander and dirty language. Don't lie to each other. For you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Think about what that's telling us. Get the picture in your mind. You've stripped off your old sinful nature and the wicked deeds. You've been unclothed from that shame and sin that one owned you. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. (laughs) That's some powerful, amazing words right there. Put on your new nature. And be renewed as you learn to know your Creator and become like Him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters. And He lives in all of us. He doesn't live in everybody out there. He's talking about those who have put on the new. And it has no racial barriers, social barriers, um, sexual, anything. It's it's We are one in Christ. He has made us whole and new. Now, this relationship we have with God through Jesus Christ that has been made available to us, which is based in love and is love, we can now have relationship with one another as He designed. Think that through. Not only has the right relationship been restored with us and God through Jesus Christ, love has been born within us. But now we have the ability to not only have a relationship with God, but with one another, for love is present. The Word of God tells us something very significant here that we need to understand as we grow in Him. Look what it said. It says, put on your new nature. That's immediate. It's like I'm changed. It's like when I change my clothes. It's off with this, on with this. There's an immediate change that happens as we put on a new nature. But it doesn't mean that we have everything together yet because if you listen to what the Word says that we just read, it says, put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your Creator. So there's this immediate change, but there's this process of understanding that change. And what it is, is my understanding of God, my relationship with Him and who He is. So I am learning to live in love. Love has been born in me through God, through this relationship of Jesus Christ. Now I am learning to know Him. I'm learning to know love and the impact that it has in my life, which is how I have a relationship with anybody, including Him and everybody else. Now, listen to that last part. And become like him. Never more amazing and profound words have been spoken. And become like him. Put on this new, new uh, nature. Be renewed as you learn who he is about him. And become like him. So we have this, this perfect example and given to us as a picture in scripture where it says that we're born and we grow And as we grow in our faith and our relationship with God, understanding who He is, we become more like Him because He is transforming us in this relationship. In Ephesians chapter 4, there's, uh, these are verses that we use in our discipleship as the drive in, in, in teaching and modeling and, and helping us to understand this relationship with God. The 14th verse, there's a lot before that and after, but I just want to look at this point. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with the lies so clever they sound like truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ who is the head of the body, the church. Isn't that awesome? See, it's like as we grow in this relationship with Him, we begin to understand God better, know Him better, know the relationship better, and then all those things like we were talking about in Colossians where people say, oh, you gotta do this or not that, or you have to include this in your worship of God. He's saying when we grow up and we're mature, we understand that those lies that try and get us to be legalistic bound in our relationship with God are not from God at all. They may sound good. They may seem like they're right. But the truth of God's Word says that you're not going to fall to those things as you walk with Him, get to know Him and experience that relationship with Him for you will see them as they are. Cleverly devised things to sound like truth. They come from the enemy himself. But we're going to grow in our faith and our knowledge of God and we're going to become more like Christ all the time. So here, we're going to ask some action steps. i got about five or six of them, so don't get excited on the third one. Have you put on the new? A relationship born in and through Jesus Christ? When sin entered the world, shame was born. I, uh, I was a victim of shame in my life because of the sin that was in me. Jesus bore our shame on the cross of Calvary. How are you learning about your creator? How are we learning about him? See, in God's word, it was challenging us to get to know our creator. How are you learning about your creator? See, that's why we ask the question about spending time in the word, being with him. That's why we assemble as the body of Christ as a church, so that we can get to know God more, so that we can love one another and build up the faith in each other. How are you learning about your creator? The next one. What is in your life today that is not Christ-like? You Remember, we were just reading there in Colossians. He said, these are the things that need to make sure that you get them out of your life. What is in your life today that is not Christ-like that you need to get out of your life? Today's the day. If God is the one who invited us into this restoration, don't you think we should be making a priority in our thoughts, our goals, our learning, our becoming? God himself designed us for a relationship with him and with one another. It should be a priority in our life that we are living for the purpose of fulfilling that relationship. God's relationship with us should not be a side note or part of our life. Many of us are consumed in the world and we just simply invite God in on occasions. He should be the purpose, the center. He showed us in that model of the encampment of the children of Israel that their life was to be revolved around him and that he was the one that was leading that is God's desire for you and I which is why he placed his Holy Spirit in the heart of a believer that he might be our purpose of existence that we might have that relationship with him that we might look to him and know who he is and how we function in this relationship with him So, two more action steps. What in the world is consuming your thoughts, desires, attention, and focus? What in the world is consuming your thoughts, desires, attention, and focus? What is distracting you from your relationship with God? Not worth it. (laughs) Last one. What needs to change for you today in your relationship with God? What is it that the Holy Spirit is pointing out to you that needs to change? more than anything else in your life in your relationship with God. Thank you so much for joining us today. Father, we love you. Thank you for Jesus. Holy Spirit, come, move, draw. We desire that relationship that you created us for, God, and we may pray that it would be real today. Thank you. In Christ's name.